This is The Furnace with John Burton. All right, so this is going to be an interesting one. I am targeting this toward all of those of you who presume to be on fire for Jesus, passionate, hungry, zealous. I'm also targeting this toward uh, pastors and those who are leading churches and movements. I'm going to talk about my story of transitioning from a church to a house of prayer and all of the dynamics and the struggles and the issues and and really I'm going to be zeroing in on the resistance to that. And let me f- start by addressing those of you who are contacting me all of the time. And you know, most of the people who contact me, well, there's two types of people. Either either the the haters and debaters, you know, you got those that are just uh, they just they just disagree with everybody um, or they really just disagree with me because they're coming from a different, completely different perspective. But then the other group that is contacting me all the time are those who are just passionate. They want revival and they are frustrated because they don't see their church pursuing revival and prayer and all of that. All right. So here's the issue. I have found, now of course there's always exceptions, but I have found that even those who say that they're passionate and on fire and they're hungry and they want revival and they want to encounter God and they're pursuing His presence and all of that group, that whole group, when the pressure increases, the cost increases, right, when all of that's happening, they also tend to back off. That's what I've found. And it's it really is a very rare person. When I say rare, I'm talking rare. Who will who is interested in truly paying the price? You know, a long time ago I used to call these people bungee jumpers. And these are people that are they're in it for the thrills. They're ready to take a risk. They're not there looking for something that's nice and safe and predictable and easy and uh, they're ready they're ready to leap Uh, but most people aren't like that most people want to regarding the church they want to step into something that is numerically solid or growing something that has systems in place all of that and if all of that's not there then they are typically not on board but let me let me really kind of address this issue. So back in Colorado, many years ago, we transi- transitioned our church. I've written about this a lot uh, from a church to a house of prayer. And I'm, my personal belief is a house of prayer is probably closer to a church than what we see today in the American church system. Um, so what was happening in me personally? There's a, there was a lot happening, but the Lord was really messing with me and calling me to focus on prayer more than ever. And I've always been a prayer freak, always. But really, instead of, instead of you know, me being the primary prayer guy, kind of leading our church in such a way that we're all advancing in the place of intercession. And so I discovered some things in our, 
in our in the process of transitioning. And I've also discovered things. I, you know, I haven't learned things in Detroit when I planted the church there and and uh, took it deeper than uh, than it had been. And talking to other leaders, and so those that are that are passionate. They tend to not, even those people tend to not really jump on board when leaders take a church in this direction. Um, so here's some of the things that happened. Here's what I, here's some things I discovered. I discovered that people really, and when I say people, I'm talking about in general, people really enjoy worship, but not intercession. They really do. I mean, you know, if a church has a phenomenal anointed worship team, that church is typically going to grow. Church doesn't, then typically they're going to struggle. And it's a troubling reality because people like to wake up on a Sunday morning, get in the car, cruise to church, and then enjoy skilled musicians and and you know the presence of God and to where they can just be in the moment. They love being in the moment. Yet Yet when the shift moves in the direction of intercession, well, now we're going to intercede. Now we're going to contend. We're going to pray. We're going to decree and we're going to declare. We're going to, you know, when, when that culture is developed, um, then people tend quickly to disengage. They don't like it that much. You know, this is one of the reasons why in Detroit, that I intentionally eliminated live worship, a live worship team um, for a season because of this, of this, really this frustration. It's like, are you, are you legit? That, that's kind of a question. Are you legit? If the worship music, the musician stuff, the, the musical worship, I understand worship goes way beyond music. If the music... The live worship is gone. Now we we did we did worship in other ways, and we would even have some videos going sometimes or whatever. But if that live worship thing was not there, would you still contend? Would you still do it? Would you still show up early for prayer? Would you still hit your face and cry out to God? Would you still do that? And the answer the answer always will be no, in almost every case, and it was with us. So people, they love to worship, but they don't love intercession. So this is a huge problem when transitioning to a house of prayer. All right. You know, you look at the International House of Prayer and they understand this. And I believe it's one of the primary reasons why they intertwine intercession and worship is because for most people, and when I say most, it's most, uh, the idea of intercession alone is not enjoyable to them. Um, yet for me, the most powerful by far, the most powerful, effective prayer when I was at the International House of Prayer was in the prep rooms where we, we would go into a tiny little room with 12 or 13 people. And we, I mean, we're sitting on top of each other. And when I say a room, it's like a closet almost. And, uh, we would pray in tongues for an hour, nonstop, no English, just tongues, nonstop. And that, for me, was the most powerful, effective way to pray. Um, yet, that's something that people don't tend to enjoy. In fact, people would often complain that they were hearing people praying in tongues in the prayer room. 
they, they, they didn't like, even though they were behind closed doors, people were complaining. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Ah, can you just imagine? But it happened all the time. They complained that the people praying in tongues were distracting those who were trying to soak in the presence as worship in the room played over them. And it's infuriating. Can you Do you think they asked the people in the upper room to tone it down because they're being a distraction? It is unbelievable. Yet, yeah, you, you have that. And it's not just IHOP, of course. I mean, it's in churches everywhere. I love IHOP. It's in churches everywhere where people complain. They don't want the loud prayer. They don't want the, ex- the, uh, the expressive prayer. They don't want it. All right, so that's that's kind of the first little takeaway. Next, people, this is, these are lessons that I learned transitioning from a church to a house of prayer. Um, they People valued developing human relationships much more than developing intimacy with Jesus. And this is common everywhere. People love to go to church. They love to go to church and hang out with their friends and connect socially. They love it. There's nothing wrong with that. But they love that. They love that. But when it comes to devoting equal amounts of time and passion and energy and desire in being with Jesus, and of course that happens in the place of prayer. It happens in the place in the place of worship too. Um, they tend to shrink back. Now everybody can do a little bit. Everybody can handle a five-minute prayer, maybe, <laughs> on a Sunday morning. They can handle, you know, they can, you know, handle maybe 30, 40 minutes of, of worship or whatever. But beyond that, uh-uh. Yet they can hang out with their friends for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, and that's, so that was a difficulty. So when we started really focusing less on small groups, less on, on you know, potlucks and all that kind of stuff, and just coming together and praying... Um, people disengaged pretty quickly. All right, next. Um, I discovered that people were more comfortable in a typical Sunday service than in a spontaneous prophetic service. Now, of course, there's always exceptions. I know a lot of you are going to respond to this and say, wait a minute, that's me. I love that stuff. And of course, there's there's a lot of people out there that do love that stuff, but the majority don't. Not at all. Not at all. And, And churches will deliberately structure their services with a very precise order of service. Even those that are more spirit-filled, you know, and there'll be a little bit of a little, little more of a flow to the morning, they still every morning do the exact same thing in the exact same order with rare exceptions, right? Uh, to where they might deviate. Why? Because they've learned, there's studies out, that people like predictability. They do. And, you know, for me, I can't stand it. It drives me crazy. But most people, I'm not most people, most people do. So then when you, en- when, when you enter uh, uh, into a house of prayer type of, of environment, it's not like that all, at all. And I, I'll never forget, it was hilarious. There was a, uh, many years ago, this was, this was when we were transitioning to a house of prayer in Colorado. Um, there was a visiting minister, an evangelist. And so he was going, he preached, uh, if, if I remember correctly, he preached Sunday morning, then Sunday night. Sunday night, we, this was in the midst of our transition. We were doing much more of a house of prayer kind of feel. And so we would have, I think we just had a guitar player up there. I don't even think he was leading, 
you know, uh, um, in worship, he was just kind of strumming and playing and people were spread out all over the place and hiding out in dark corners and laying across chairs and just laying there or pacing or sitting on the ground or whatever. And just being with Jesus, basically praying and as, as the worship kind of hovered over us. And, and this evangelist, I, I, I guess he'd never been in an environment like this and and he eventually came up to me and said, he said, um, is, is there going to be worship tonight? Or when am I supposed to start speaking? Or, and uh, I should have explained it better to him. I, I should have. That was my fault. But, uh, but it, it, still, it still kind of uh, it makes me remember just how, how out of place people feel in such an environment. And so most people don't dig it. They want the, you know, come to church, worship, have some announcements, have some teaching, say hi to friends, go home. And that's what most people want. And I discovered that. Let's see, what else? What else did I discover as I made this transition? Oh, people were mostly, and this is huge, they were mostly looking for teaching that offered tips for successful living or, or personal growth or, or even biblical knowledge, you know, or biblical, uh, you know, personal development, that kind of thing, which none of that's wrong, but they, but they, they, that, that's what they wanted. But when the teaching became apostolic, when we were hitting on things and, and talking about things in the nation and talking about things, you know, the end, end times or things in the world or, or calling people to, to action based on all of that and, and kind of, you know, expanding the teaching to that place, not interested. They wanted to know how to, how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to grow financially, how to, how to be free from fear, how to, whatever, all of that kind of stuff. But when it came to more apostolic stuff, they weren't in, they weren't interested. Um, you know, uh, uh, so, somewhat related. The idea of having vision for regional transformation was foreign to them. Most people couldn't care less about regional transformation. They just wanted to go to a church where they had friends and worshipped and had some good teaching and could connect. That's it. The idea of regional transformation was was not interesting to them. It was foreign to them. Um, and they certainly didn't want to give their energy to it. Um, also a focus on revival, believe it or not, was not attractive to them. This is mind blowing to me. I, and it's stunning. You know, I, I'm shocked. Shouldn't be shocked, but I'm shocked at people are not interested in investing in revival. I, I don't get it. What is going on? blows my mind and but they're not they're just not and again i'm talking generally there's exceptions and a lot of you that are listening to this you're gonna you know you're you're kind of in my stream a lot of you and you're like but john i want this stuff i know you do but most people don't they don't revival is not at all attractive to them um you know they enjoyed soaking in god's presence but not contending for transformation so, so you got your ultra spiritual crowd out there whom I love and they love just soaking in God's presence. That's their thing. They love it. But when it comes to the, to, to contending prayer, not interested. Uh, what else? Let's see. A focus on the end times was irritating to them. It's not at all what they signed up for. So they did, they, they didn't, they didn't like that. 
Yet, you know, one of the core values of the House of Prayer movement is a focus on end times. You can't get away with it or, or away from it. Mike Bickle would teach on the end times every, I think it was every Saturday night. And he would teach on intimacy every Friday night or vice versa, one of the two. I don't know if he still does that or not. Every week he would do that. And people generally don't like that. Uh, spiritual warfare was unnecessary to them. They didn't want to come to church to fight. They wanted to come to church to relax and have fun. So they didn't want to kick into warfare. Um, you know, And saying prayers was okay, but praying fervently as a lifestyle was too costly. You know, And, and so these are some of the takeaways for me now. Some of you asked, well, what, what's the big takeaway? Well, here's the big takeaway. I teach on this all the time. I've written on it so many times, you know, um, you know, my, my, I guess it's my motto nowadays is, is, is this, I refuse to tone down the activity of the Holy spirit out of respect of those less hungry. So those that are less hungry, less devoted, less committed, less surrendered, less consecrated, less interested, I'm not going to modify the call to prayer and modify the call to revival. I'm not going to modify any of that for their sake. I'm not going to do it. And so, you know, both really both in Colorado and Detroit, I found myself coming alive when the numbers decreased, even though it was difficult. I'll never pretend that it wasn't difficult, you know, because, you know, money is disappearing and all sorts of stuff. But I came alive when suddenly my tribe emerged and there I was with a smaller number of people that were wildly devoted. Oh my goodness. They were, they were praying nonstop. They were contending nonstop. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd let them know that we're going to be prayer walking the city tonight at 9 PM. And they're all there moments notice, you know, in, in Colorado, I mean, we would be praying and prayer walking and praying in different ways most nights of the week. I mean, I mean, literally four or five nights a week, sometimes every night of the week, we were there and people, people were loving it. So my greatest takeaway is that my, my tribe emerged and, and this is even a bigger takeaway actually, that effectiveness increased. And the whole idea of, of adding in another 50 or 100 or 200 people to the mix is laughable. It doesn't make sense. Why? Why is that a goal if you're not going to get the job done? So, so when the remnant emerged, when the remnant was identified and we were able to go deep and we were able to go hard and we were able to do that, suddenly our effectiveness was through the roof. I mean, like, like you don't even know. The miracles that were, that were happening were stunning. It, it was incredible, you know, and, and I would venture to say, I've never thought about it like this. Let me think for a moment. Even before we made this transition to the house of prayer, we were still like hardcore, you know, on fire, you know, church always happened. Um, but in our larger gatherings, which would be our Sunday morning gatherings, I don't know I got to think about this. I could be totally wrong, but I, I don't think so. I don't know that we had remarkable or many. I know we had a few. We didn't have many remarkable moves of God. I'm talking about miracles. I'm talking about 
signs and wonders. I'm talking about that kind of stuff. Now, now there there were some. I tell stories of some of a few incredibly remarkable things that happened. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is, regardless of how much quote unquote God stuff happened in the main service, it exponentially exploded in the smaller remnant gatherings. God was able to do more in the smaller remnant gatherings because the resistors or the or the lukewarm or the halfway committed or the casual were not in the mix. The pretenders were not there. And so um yeah, you know, and I'm and and, and my brain's still stuck on the the big Sunday service. Um you know, we did, we did, you know, now thinking more, we did have some pretty intense God stuff happen, but, but again, it was not anywhere near as much in terms of frequency, uh, as we would have in the smaller meetings. And I think a lot of you would agree with that. You agree with what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, God will do some things in the bigger settings, but when you get together with people who are on your team, um, everything changes, everything changes. And so, you know, people have asked me, someone asked me today, well, why haven't you started a house of prayer in Branson? Well, first of all, I wouldn't start a house of prayer that, you know, that uh, modeled after anything that anybody knows right now. I would take bits and pieces, but but it would be more of a house of revival and a house of a house of uh, uh, a prophetic house, a contending house. Uh, you know, it would be that. Um, but you know, the reason there's reasons why I haven't started one here in Branson. The main reason is, you know, God hasn't released me to do it. I did do a little trial run for several weeks in a row of holding meetings and they were very poorly attended. And so I pulled the plug before I, you know, signed on for a whole other for a year or something like that. I've just pulled the plug. The, the, the interest wasn't there and which is okay. And it might not be the, the timing or, or the season or whatever, but so, so that's the main reason is God hasn't called me to do it. You know, another reason is I'm extremely busy with everything else that I'm doing, including my three businesses here in Branson. And we've got a YouTube channel and I'm, and I write a lot and all that kind of stuff, these podcasts and whatever. And then the other reason is I'm not a pastor and I don't want to create a past, a pastored entity. I don't want that. Um, it's just it, it whenever I'm in that environment, it completely uh, derails my focus and I don't want so I, I, I don't want that. Um, and I don't believe a church has to be pastor driven. In fact, I think pastor driven churches are very often among the weakest churches out there. so we don't have to have pastor driven churches. but I don't even want it to be a pastoral culture. I want it to be a prophetic culture. I want it to be a warfare culture. I need it to be a revival culture, a contending culture. Um, you know, and so, so, but I know most people aren't interested in that. And so my question is, are there people that are truly interested in that? And then don't forget, you'll find people that are interested, but then you start to weed them out as well as they don't sign up. (laughs) They don't sign on with your end times, uh, beliefs. That's why a lot of pastors don't teach on the end times because they don't want people to leave their church. Well, I'll be definitely teaching on the end times. Um, you know, uh, you know, w- w- what do they believe regarding hyper grace? See, a lot of the, lot, a lot of the, the quote unquote, you know, uh, charismatic type people or whatever you want to call them, 
they're hyper grace or they're very ultra grace and that's definitely not us um, you know and so you, so then you start to start to whittle down to really your tribe and your tribe you'll discover is very 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 small and can and can you really have impact with something that's very small well you, you can if God calls you to do it do it um, but if he doesn't call you to do it don't do it and, you know, I believe you need at least a, a team to get the job done. Otherwise, it's pointless. Just pray by yourself. You, you've got to have a team to do it. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. People ask me, well, why don't you start one? Eh, it's not my time, not my season. Actually, not very interested in doing that right now. Although parts of me would love to do it. You all, some of you know, know what I'm talking about. But... Anyway, so that's, you know, that's kind of the transition from church to house of prayer. I'll tell you this, um, it's challenging. Um, I mean, I, I was at a church in West Virginia, Pastor Jay Morgan, and I, I wouldn't say that they transitioned to a house of prayer. I, I don't know how, I don't know how they would define it, but it, it is one basically. And boy, they, they transitioned from a seeker sensitive church to a church that is just wildly, uh, prophetic and passionate and revival minded and prayer driven. And I mean, spirit filled and on and on and on. And I just loved preaching there, man. That was the best ever. And they've got it going on. So it can be done. But you're going to pay a price. And that pastor there would tell you the same. You're going to pay a price. So, yep, what do you got? What comments do you have on this? I'd love to hear your thoughts. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Furnace with John Burton. You can access media, read articles, and partner with the ministry online at burton.tv. And by all means, share this podcast with those who are hungry for revival, reformation, and revolution.